Welcome to the Nahrain Network podcast series. The Nahrain Network is a UK arts and humanities research council funded project working on the sustainable development of cultural heritage in Iraq and its neighbours. The first guest of the Nahrain Network podcast series is Rashad Salim of Safina Projects. Thank you, Rashad, for coming in to the Nahrain Network office here at UCL. My pleasure. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Um, can you tell us a bit about Safina Projects? Safina Projects is a community interest company that we set up to realize a, a, a dream project that I've had for a while and I've been working on uh, called the Ark Reimagined. And the Ark Reimagined basically is reimagining the Noah's Ark, but not for uh, any sort of, um, we're not sort of proposing the form of it or the shape of it, but rather engaging with it as a concept towards understanding more of the, the cultural, the cultural um, heritage of Iraq and uh, within the context of history and cultural heritage uh, globally. So, I mean, the basic uh, concept of it is how would this boat, the Hark, have been built at its time and place and in its environment. So we're looking at it in a very rational way and uh, uh, you know, engaging with, with a lot of literature, a lot of, of uh, things that have to do with this because it's a, it's a favorite subject amongst a particular group of people in the world. Um, so um, um, you know, the, the situation in Iraq, is, as you know, has been quite detrimental both environmentally as well as to cultural So this is one way of engaging with it. At the moment, there's nobody really in, in the country that is uh, concerned with maritime, maritime uh, uh, heritage. But it's not just also maritime heritage. Maritime heritage is, is one way of engaging with, uh, with an aspect of the culture that is related to the environment. And you've just come back from Iraq? Ah, we've just come back from Iraq. What were you doing there? I was just built the first Mishhuf uh, Chlieke, which is a type of uh, canoe, Marsharp canoe. These canoes disappeared in the 80s. And since then, we've not had these are the sort of crescent shaped canoes that are very famous. You find them in art, depicted a lot in Iraqi art. They're so sort of iconic of, of Iraq. But they disappeared in the 80s. So you don't have these crescent shaped boats. And again, these crescent-shaped boats go back all the way to uh, ancient Mesopotamia, as early as Sumerian. You'll find it in the British Museum, you know, this boat with the prows raised, mm-hmm. like horns. So, um, uh, so I identified uh, boat builders in Hoer, which was a traditional in boat builder. It's Basra, but it's sort of on the edge of the marshes. Okay. Um, it used to be actually sort of canal land, and that's another thing that I, I saw over there that really struck me. I mean, everybody knows about the marshes. It's sort of quite sexy at the moment, marshes. But there's, a, there's an amazing um, culture of palm groves with canals amongst them. And these canals and these sort of palm groves would have been the kind of environment as much as, if not more than the marshes, uh, part of the environment that you'd find in, in ancient Mesopotamia. 
and these are also uh, being lost. So we've got um, major loss of these sort of seminal environments throughout the country, really, but specifically in this area. And uh, with it, of course, the, the, the crafts culture and that sort of uh, uh, independence, or that sort of um, uh, self-sustaining culture. You know, we've lost that connection with the, with the environment, with the ecology, with the land itself. This is perhaps even more dangerous than losing heritage, as in, you know, that is the heritage. So how to engage with this issue, how to understand it, is through this project for, for us. Yeah. But it's, it's a serious, serious problem. I mean, um, not only losing the land, uh, losing the water, uh, there is uh, major, major problems with pollution, uh, plastic pollution from in, in the area that we're in, for example, building the boat, you've got the, the fumes from the burn-off of the, of the oil wells. Um, so it's, it's you know, that's on that sort of physical level, but on a social level and a cultural level, you've got also this sort of loss of, of continuity and connection between generations. And you've got the lost generation. Because of war, mostly? Because of war, because of this degradation in culture. Mm. You know, that, that cultural heritage, you know, culture and cultural heritage is a means of, of connecting the generations, as well as connecting the, these generations with the land and the future. So you have, you know, how, how, what is your communication without that culture? Mm. You know, and you want to revive that through... This, this is a means of engaging with that. So we're looking at the boats. And what happened was, uh, uh, by invitation from local Abu Sajjad, Zuhair al-Asadi, who is, interestingly, he's a local businessman. But in Huwair? In Huwair with a business that goes back to ancient Sumeria and that's directly related to the boats. So he, has, he, he uh, um, transports and sells uh, uh, tar, gear, mm. different types of gear from heat, yeah. right through this period, even despite the, the, the problems and the wars and etc., this sort of thing. Heat yeah. in Ambar, in, in Ambar, Exactly, in Ambar. So he, he was doing that right through all this period. Yeah. So he's quite affluent because it's, it's not only for boats but for roofing. Mm. You know, for roofing, waterproofing, etc. It's, it's, it's a main industry going back, a petro industry going back to the most ancient times. I mean, we've and it got just seeps off the ground. It seeps um, from the ground in, in sort of like, yeah, it's a seepage mm. in, in Ambar area. And we have, I mean, yeah, this is another with connections with the boats and why boats are interesting. Uh, boats have always been, until now, the most sort of sophisticated uh, um, uh, construct of any culture, until this day. Yeah. You know, like uh, submarines and, and uh, tankers are actually even more sophisticated than spaceships. And spaceships are called ships for a reason. Yeah. There's that thing about, about an, uh, an 
even more so than than architecture, as in uh, uh, static architecture. It's it's something that that has a body that carries you. you know? So it's, it's you know you depend your life on it. You know, Unlike you give to it. You give you you put everything you know into creating something that is safe. It's always been the case. It is the peak of knowledge, the most sophisticated construct of any culture anywhere. It has always been the case till now. You know, a boat, and you find, for example, like a lot of, of uh, uh, countries, they the 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 sort of the icon of the country is a boat, like the Vasa in Sweden, the Mary uh, Marianne in, in uh, May Rose, sorry, in, in in England and others. You know, the Navy, the U.S. Navy, you know, the aircraft carriers, etc. That sort of the rocket ship. It's it's that personification of the most sophisticated cultural construct. As always, been. so we uh, we don't know, we don't know how the Sumerians built their boats, and there's a lot of work, serious work in in trying to figure out what kind of boats. Because the thing about uh, Mesopotamia is it's a riverine culture, and uh, you know people talk about agriculture as being really important, when in fact. Boats are equally important to agriculture in trade, you know, in developing that civilization. Yeah. And it's looked at so. So if you look at the literature, you'll find always boats being picked up as really important, but we have no, very, very few clues. But amongst the clues, going back to the, the bitumen tar, the gear, amongst the clues are, are clots of tar, of bitumen that were found in, in uh, Oman, Kuwait, various places around, with, uh, uh, with the imprint on one side of uh, um, cane, mat cane matting, and on the other side of barnacles, which is sort of like the only empirical proof we have of the construction of these Sumerian boats, because it, these barnacles had to be uh, from the sea, and you find them, and they did studies on the on this, and uh, you know they identified the sources of this as being heat and you know. Uh, are we speaking main. about the guffers that you revived, or? Um, no, I'm talking about jet. No, these are seagoing ships. Okay. These are seagoing ships. Yeah, I mean the guffers. We know the guffers. We have got we've got uh, you know uh, impressions, uh, you know, drawings of cylinder seals, etc. Yeah. Uh, of of boats that we can say are guffas, going back to definitely Akkadian and, and earlier, we can see that there's a there's a there's a distinction over here that has to be made between boats and ships. I'm working with boats towards understanding the shipbuilding, so boats are are, you know, are quite understood globally. There's a universal there's a universal typology of boats. So we find gufwa, which are coracles, not just in Mesopotamia, but they're known to be one of the oldest type of, of boats, just like a kelek is a log raft. And they were used uh, then for what purpose exactly? Well, that's, a, that's, that's an interesting thing because you know, I've, I've got three main types of, of boats okay. that I'm, I'm actually f four or five, but as main types. You know that that identify the northern part of the country, 
So you have the Kelek, a log raft that uh, used to be used to be and floats. So they, they used to float also on airbags made out of leather, like shichwe, which is they used. You know, I don't know if you know the shichwe, which is a, a milk churn. Mm, I do. Yeah, yeah? leather, leather milk churn. So this has an airbag, and we know that this was used all the way back. You know, actually having an airbag, a float. You know. Uh, so they used to float down logs as well as stone, including milling stones. You know, if you've got agriculture, you need milling stones and things like that, as well as sculptural things. And of course, southern Iraq, whereas Sumeria didn't have stone. So this was coming from the north? So this was coming from the north. And they used to bring it down with these kelex uh, until middle of the century or more, a little bit more, but around the middle of the century, so there's a cutoff. Um, so they brought down uh, these stones and, and wood. You needed this wood, maradi, mardi, poles, etc. From, from the north, uh, uh, selling everything. And then they'd sell it once they got down south and sort of pack up the leather bags and take it back up north and then repeat that sort of process. So it's a one way using the river as a conduit. And this is the thing about, about Mesopotamia, which really is Mesopotamia. There are two rivers that are like highways, and from these you've got amazing sort of uh, networks of canals, etc., that really covered the whole country. And people are studying that now. I mean, there was a highway, highways and byways and sideways and, you know, cul-de-sacs, etc., you know, all water, you know, right through. Major, you know. It's, of course, the, the combustion engine and roads have effect was one of the first things that, that deteriorated or affected that relation to the river, yeah, for sure. But anyway, the Kelik is the first one, coming up further north. And then you have the Gufa that you mentioned, which is a, a coracle, a basket. We have indications that it was used also, um, made out of leather at some points as well. And the oldest ones that we have... Actually, we, we have you know, one of the oldest ones that we know of is from the linear, uh, what's it called, linear, it's, it's in uh, Germany. They found, you know, 4000 BC or whatever. And also Pops. using the same uh, gear in heat? Yeah, now that, of course, the leather ones, we don't know what, what they put on it, but the, the ones that have reached us, and these are basic sort of thing, because gophers, these coracles, it's a concept that's important for all of them. And this is, this is what I find also really fascinating. There's sort of a, a seminal concepts that are defined or exemplified by these boats. So the kelek, you know, if you put sticks together, tie them together, or whatever, they float. They don't go down. They're really ancient. They go back. It goes without saying, you know. Uh, the the gopher is a basket. If you make a basket big enough, and waterproof it, you know, whether you use leather or you use, uh, like in Iraq, a coil basket, so it's one spiral coil of, of, uh, um, uh, of, of fibers, alpha, you know, alpha, alpha, in, in, that's bound with something, and that when it comes to the gopher, it's bound with palm front leaves, yeah. and then it's braced, so it has to be somehow, you know, it mustn't collapse, obviously, the basket. So they, ba they brace it in Iraq with um, pomegranate, 
that's the people that I found who, who still remember making them in Sadat uh, al in Babylon and Halla. Uh, they used to make s the smaller fisherman's one because that was sort of like a meter fifty, that sort of size. And we now have uh, 11 of them, 10 of them. And one that we've managed to get them to make beyond the size that they normally do, uh, which is two meters we have now, cargo, cargo gofa, because we know that they used to build them, this is empirically, I mean photographs, etc. We know that they used to build them up to sort of five and six meters. And Herodotus man mentions them as one of the wonders of Babylon, these huge gofas, even though he was a little bit uh, uh, um, confused between the gofa and the kelek. Mm. You know, there, there are issues about that sort of description. Anyway, so the gofas is you know, basically a huge basket. And these gofas, coracles, you find them in England, you find them, and there's one they found in Norway that's 3,000. Yeah, you find them in Vietnam, in, in India, all over the world. Yeah, as well as those keleks, but there's also canoes. Yeah. Now the canoes, there's a type that, that I'm particularly interested in because it was the, my uh, um, entrance into the subject, uh, which is a shasha, and that's a reed boat. So it's basically a bundle of reeds that have been put together create a platform. So that's buoyancy in itself. So the material itself is buoyant. Yeah. The gofo is a displacement boat. It displaces. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the kelek is a float. So they're all distinct types of boats. The, uh, the shasha are bundles of, of reeds or cane or whatever it is. Any material that uh, that uh, will float, held together. And that's the technology that we find in, and that is documented in the Sumerian um, iconography as one of the main building techniques, where you have the motifs, the reed huts, reed houses, etc. You know, it's a main technique. And for me that's very important, very interesting, because obviously um, if we look at the story of Noah, we're looking at a period that predates, and this is something that we know uh, uh, empirically from studies of the topography of the, of the Gulf and, and the region, um, uh, that there was a flood. Yeah. And that flooding, the actually number of floods in the passage between the Pliocene and the, and the Holocene, now we're into the Anthropocene, and also in front of new floodings and new uh, changes. So there's a, there's, there's a bit of mirroring with that sort of critical climatic change in this one we're in. But anyway, we know that, that um, there was a flood. But interestingly enough, the floods, the, t the main floods, which are sort of between 24,000, 8,000 BC, and then there was one around 5,000 BC, that was a, a smaller flood, but the only quite, uh, the, the, the earlier ones is like, you know, 120 meters. This is a flood in northern of the north part of Iraq? This is the world over. Okay. And that's an interesting thing, another, because we don't own the flood story, except in the fact that it's in the Abrahamic tradition, which is the most 
known tradition, but the, the flood story is, is uh, there are 360, there's always just 360 business, but anyway, there's over 300 uh, flood stories globally, you know, everywhere, you know, China, North America, South America, even the, uh, 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 well, even the Aborigines of, of, uh, of Australia have an oral flood story, and the Aborigines of Australia, interesting enough, are the, are the oldest, are the furthest we have absolute proof of m human beings using boats, because we know that they reached Australia around 66,000 uh, years ago, yeah? so there's no, there's no way they could have reached it without boats. So we know that they used boats that could actually cross big bodies of water, not just sort of cross the river. So I mean that's 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 the interesting thing. So the the flood would have preceded, and we're going back now to uh, our area, our region, Mesopotamia, the Gulf, Arabia. I don't know if you call it the Middle East or what, yeah. But this area uh, would have preceded the great sort of transitions into the ages of metal, into the transition into the ages of, of uh, you know, state building. It was preceded that. It's a, and that gate, that transition, you know, from the sort of a more egalitarian into a more patriarchal. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's a transitional time, just like we have now. But what's interesting for me is that it predates the Bronze Age. So that arc would have been an arc built without metal. Yeah? And the boats that I'm looking at as that sort of basic thing are without metal. And one of the reasons why I'm looking at it, because I think there's a sort of a, like I said earlier, there's a, there's a loss of linking with that sort of seminal knowledge, that seminal relationship between culture, environment, and, you know, and ourselves as well, yeah? our humanity. So I believe that there is a sort of a, a universal language of making, an alphabet of making, if you wish, yeah? in which that boat would have been made. Now, my experience with ancient boats and the people or those that have studied ancient boats has been that so far the 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 uh, modus <laughs> the way of, of 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 viewing it has been towards something primitive that which was old before is primitive and we find this in the contemporary in the contemporary in the sense that you know when I say boats you know in, in the marshes they say, you know, that's old stuff, finished, gone, right? This is in Europe. In Europe, yeah. Mm. But also, I mean, whether it's Tor Heyerdahl, who built the Tigris that I took part in, you know, in 77, 78, or, or any of the ones so far that have been building boats, two things happen. Two things happen, and these we find in the Noah story as it has been translated from epoch to epoch. Yeah? Two things happen. Uh, and and um, 
One is that the past gets both primitive, primitive made primitive. Is there a, a, a verb for that? Primitized. Yeah. And the second is that the present, the culture of the present, gets implanted on it. So we have this issue of, of boats being uh, like the Tigris itself that I was on, with Torada, which is a seminal uh, experiential boat building. Uh, it's, it's mentioned in all of them. Uh, used only one technique, that of the reed boats. Yeah. Like I said earlier, boats have always been the most sophisticated. You wouldn't have used only one technique to build. You'd have used all your technique. Yeah. And I've got various, uh, 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 you know, a critique of, of that. Because, you know, we go into details, there's a lot of detail on this, but I mean, that was suggested as a trading boat. I don't think it was a trading boat. Yeah. Because of its primitive nature, because it had dead weight, you know, I think that you know that that primitiveness is is sort of the idea that people would have first made boats that were uh, like a reed bundle of you know or a log hollowed out log, you know, and that there was a sort of uh, an evolutionary transition from a uh, a floating object to a displacement. You know, there's some sort of it's an evolutionary view that you know people would not have figured out mm. that you displace before. You know, I, 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 I There's no evidence for this. Uh, yeah, but that that is a, that is that is an imposition. Mm. Yeah, of uh, uh, I think the the you know the hollowed is self-evident mm. that something hollowed was, and you've got it in nature. In, in you know, uh, calabas plants, uh, all sorts of things that you know, and you can understand that, you know, the structure of, of boats, you can understand it as you know having ribs, mm. yeah, yeah. There's hearts. Um, let's try and go back a bit to your actual work in Iraq. <coughs> I mean, what do you see are the main challenges to your, to your work? Uh, main challenge is is the lack of of capacity within the country to to uh, to do the obvious, you know, to you know, what what should be done, uh, it's been undermined. The, the you know, so we have uh, we have lost um, a great deal of our. There's been a brain drain. We've lost archives. We've lost many things because the crafts, which is one of the main things that I'm looking at, uh, was in focus previously yeah. we had a we had a, a anthropological uh, journal there were people interested we had many quite a few message um, surveys that were done music you know uh, crafts etc textiles etc were studied yeah from from maybe a twisted view when it was politicized, but this a lot of this was outside of politics. Mm. You know, it was a, a general knowledge and people interested in it, you know, and supported. So that that that's the main problem is that we're in a situation where in which are we speaking about the seventies here or eighties? Yeah, up, um, up until the seventies, eighties. Yeah, you had you had uh, um, 
a, 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 you, know, you, you had the capacity in the country to engage with all these things. Yeah. There was a knowledge of it, and, and also you had, you know, the environment hadn't been so uh, degraded. degraded yeah. So I mean, one one thing is the lack of capacity in the country, yeah. But not a lack of will or understanding specifically from the people that are on the ground. Even even in 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 upper levels, you have an understanding of the, both the importance of it. You mean at the state level ministry? Yeah, 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 yeah. You have, but, but there's always uh, some kind of a, 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 a hampering. You know, I'm interested, but we don't have money. You know? mm. I'm just that, that, that. You know, there, there are all sorts of, of uh, different things. That, uh, we need to, you know, there, there's a lot of work to do, and this is why we set up Safina Projects. And why I have, yeah, because initially this project is, was an artist project. And I'm working it as an artist, uh, researcher, cultural researcher, I'm working on this thing. And, uh, but now, we're, you know, we're increasingly, as soon as you know, I got engaged with the thing, it was clear that you know, I can, we can't afford for me to do it, even though it might be a way of doing it, it's just doing it as an artist and forget about the whole thing and then people will pick yeah. up from, from the product. Yeah. yeah. But the other way of doing it, which I, what we're trying to do and hopefully Naharin would be helpful with us, you know, is to see how to use this as a means of capacity building. You know, actually engaging in, you know, so we're working with universities, uh, working with government institutions, museums, etc. Yeah. So do it in a capacity at a very local level. A very, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, for example, you know, uh, the the this chileke that the, uh, the Mashhouf canoe that we've just built, uh, you know, it's you know, it was so clear by building this boat there that people not only enjoyed it but it immediately created a, a bridge between the generations yeah? and it's sort of, uh, it's a beautiful object as well. There's, a beautiful, there's pride because that's another problem that we, we face is, is a lack of, of, of active pride, I'd call it. Yeah? There's sort of maybe passive pride but there's a lot that is undermining that pride. Yeah. Pride yeah. of national heritage. Pride in self, pride in national, pride in place. Mm. Yeah, so there's pride. Because of the disconnect um, because that of we've the just spoken about. Because of the disconnect, because of the, the humiliation, because of the, the, uh, uh, the corruption, yeah? because of, you know, there's a sense, there, there's an apathy now. There's an apathy that is, I think, Widespread. totally un-Iraqi. Mm. I don't think it's ever been that apathy, you know, in that sense of, of, of uh, yeah, uh, you, you read a lot of, of books about Mesopotamia, one of the first things they say is, you know, Mesopotamia was also the, the, the birth of pessimism, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's ingrained in us, pessimism. But this, this, what we're facing is beyond pessimism, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's case study, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the case study is, 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 is negative. So what, uh, you know, uh, that, that, it's, it's a problem that, you know, 
people will, will, will see what you're doing but cannot believe that, you know, anything will go right. Yeah, will go that way. Because um, of the absence of active, successful models on the ground? On, on the one hand, and also the, the, the predominance of broken promises. So we've had, and everybody right through when you go, there's always, there have been so much promise, and so many promises, and uh, it's all been broken. Uh, practically all been broken, you know. Also anyway. a lack of trust that you're trying so to rebuild through your active work on the ground in Europe. N not, I have not, I have not felt that uh, distrust to myself. Because you already have successful outputs and I, I think... And, and I'm working also from, I mean, people can see that I'm working, you know, I get down and dirty. I mean, I'm working there, you know, and I'm, I'm with them. But, but what happens is that, you know, uh, with a lot of with some of the people that are working there, uh, sadly, it's more exploitative and more up down. I'm working down up, you know. I insist on working down up. You know, I'm not working. I don't come and tell them what to do. You know? and that's another thing is this, there's a there's a, a tendency when it comes to uh, even in the universities to see themselves as a position of of actually uh, authority. Uh, authority of telling them what to do. So you have the anthropological department. Yeah, it's not sort of their their motivation is not to understand the craft, but rather have. to to yeah, to to tell them how to instruct, go yeah. to instruct them. Yeah, to instruct them. That's you know, baloney. I mean, that's that's. And that doesn't work because so my, my whole thing is actually to be a student. So I'm a student on the ground, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm always a student. I cannot be more than a student. But from what I'm studying, and this is where myself as an artist comes in, you know, I'm, I'm looking, you know, my, my thing with the arc, all of that, is actually to use this material that, is being, that I'm studying which is the, 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 the nature of the elements in the ecology, plants, etc., the culture, the, the, the crafts, etc. From that, make that the palette or the material of an artwork that is creative. So rather, than, you know, I, it is a monumental project for me. I see the arc as a monument. You know, I'm, I'm from the Salim family, George Salim, you know, made the monument, the famous monument in the boat. You know, I'm not interested in making a bronze monument, you know. As a person, you know, I'd like to end up my life by doing something that is well worth and monumental. Yeah, I'd like to do that. But I don't want to make but it with bronze. It's just as yeah. monumental as... It is just as monumental, if not more. Because, because you work on a sustainable development of cultural heritage at a very local level. Because I'm making the monument from the material and the heritage of the country rather than portraying it. That, you know, now the, person, the people there, you know, they've offered a piece of land from themselves because we could make a, and we can make, a local, a local cultural center yeah, for them to engage with their culture and transport. My job then, you know, or our job, is to see how to make that sustainable. The center itself? Oh. No, the building of boats and, 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 and the center itself. I and mean, this, this, this is an idea for you to have the center in where? Yeah, or that's one center. I, think, mm. I, I believe that, the, that all of these areas should have local centers that are managed by the locals.
by the locals, by the local culture, you know. You know, not, you know it's, it, it's no good, you know, setting up a center, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, inviting them in. They have to invite you and manage the same center. But the thing is, you know, obviously, you know, making a boat, I mean, in a lot of countries, a lot of, of, of cultures, you can make a boat just as a, a, as a ritual exercise that defines your culture that happens in Hawaii and places like Polynesia. You know, they don't have to make these boats, but they do it as, as, a, as a form of, of remembrance and, and continuity. So there's that. But then there's also the fact that, you know, pa, you know the, uh, Iraq is a flat and quite featureless land. You've got the palm trees, you've got, you know, not that many features. So if you're visiting the marshes, what you see is something now, what you see is something that you can see anywhere, anywhere, even the boat types they use, the shakhtur, yeah, is something you'll find globally, exactly the same boat. Yeah. So basically people go now, to, uh, tourism and, and marshes, go into shakhtur, you don't even hear the place. It's a canoe with an engine. It's not even a yeah, it's, it's a boat uh, mm. sort of with, with, with an engine. Yeah. It has no cultural presence, significance. significance. Yeah. So what you're doing is, you, you know, I want to see the rhythm of those canoes there. So the tourism industry, you know, you know, you know the, Iraq needs an aste the aesthetic presence of these as well as the cultural presence of these. Yeah. But then again, you know, one can take these, it, Everyone studies them, and uh, you know, develop a, a national, a national form of uh, sport, the racing. Racing, you know, we've got the rivers now. I mean, these rivers used to be used. You had boats in them, and you know, all sails, etc., all sorts of things there. Now the rivers, you know, are, are dead. You know, we've got a couple of people. You know, we have a water crisis now, also. And we have a water crisis, and this comes into another level, another level, when it comes to what is, you know, you know we, have a, we have these rivers, we have a water crisis, we have a dependency of oil, we, have, we, we are not even producing our own food anymore, etc., da, 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 da. Yeah, sure. If we don't respect and don't have a culture worth keeping that is alive, Nobody's going to respect us upriver. Yeah? And we have to actually show and be something worth keeping, you know, worth maintaining. So, yeah. And respecting. And respecting and be interesting, you know. You know. This goes back to the pride that you've been speaking about. Exactly. So at the moment, the waters basically, you know, the rivers, and this is right through the country. You know, I've, I know rivers that I've, 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 I've not seen rivers and experienced rivers, for example, in the Slimaniye. You know, in the 70s, there was a river over there. Beautiful river. Now it's, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's uh, Wadhar, uh, uh, sewage, a sewer. You know? The whole country, the rivers are turning into sewers. So it starts locally for others to respect us. It's, this is very important. It, it starts locally, it starts... Uh, centrally, you know, we've always been a centralized, uh, centralized. Yeah. We are in, uh, you know, irrigation canals. All of these things need central. There's no, 
We have to go back to the time of the flood to be decentralized. But since the, since after the flood, it's always been centralized. You know, we are the first state fire in the history. In history, you know, we've always been within that, mainly because of these rivers. Without that rivers, you wouldn't have had this sort of construct. So it's the geography that is. It's a job that, that defines it. That we've defines got we've got well-defined borders of mountains. You know, the Torres and the Zagros Mountains, you know, and the desert. And between those, it's the land of the two rivers that it interconnects it, you know, with highways, you know, long before highways were developed here or anywhere else in the Roman Empire or whatever. You know, natural highways, you know, in different directions, not just like the Nile, you know, a string going down. But we've got a network of, of highways that has always brought us together. You know. So, I mean, the thing is, is, is uh, so hopefully with this project, inshallah, yani, it's, it's, you know, we'll both sort of get a new understanding or deeper understanding of this culture, but also, you know, maybe have some kind of uh, agency, you know, return that agency with these boats, if nothing else, but to, to uh, describe ourselves, to understand ourselves, to express ourselves, yeah, inshallah. You see heritage also playing a role in local empowerment. Um, of course it does. Mm. Yeah, of course it does. In terms of yeah. engagement, activity, presence, uh, presence. Yeah, yeah, presence. Yeah, but the the thing that we, you know, we've we've been sadly, well, not sadly, but you know, we've been sadly seen as, literally as the has been. You know, in the sense that all the view towards Iraq has been archaeological. Yeah, it's been archaeological. Yeah. Well, that. Archaeology, you know, archaeology is it's, it's the reliquary of history. It's the bone box of history. Yeah. But the fact is that you know, a lot of the environment was the same, the material that's been used, the crafts are the same, the architecture and vernacular architecture is the same. All of these things, have, there's been a continuity because we reached you know, the best design with the material for the use in Iraq since early on. In that environment. In that environment. So the boat types have remained until a material technological change major has come in. Yeah. And then it has been pretty much at, at the, the at the, you know, so, so we, have, we have a living heritage. We had a living heritage that was alive, that remained alive despite the rise and fall of, of empire, etc. Until now, the first time in our history, the very first time in our history where we have lost that connection, where we have become an archaeological site, where what was alive now is an archaeological stratum within the archives of the world. Yeah. Yeah, we have the images of it, but lost the reality, which is why I'm doing this, because, you know, I can't see, you know, the, the sense of, of painting Meshouf's boats, you know, as defining us and not having them in reality. It's senseless, you know. On that note, Rashad Salim, thank you very much. Um, I'm sure we'll be doing more podcast recordings with you. Inshallah. Um, would yeah, like to thank, I'd pleasure. like to thank um, the AHRC, the Arts Humanities Research Council, for facilitating this. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Rashad's work, you can look at his website 
www.safinaprojects.org. Thank you very much. Thank you.